You are now listening to the Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. Hi, and welcome to The Blackest Questions, a trivia game show meant to teach us more about Black history. I'm your host, Dr. Christina Greer, politics editor for The Griot and associate professor of political science at Fordham University. In this podcast, we ask our guests five of The Blackest Questions so we can learn a little bit more about them and have some fun while we're doing it. We're also going to learn a lot about Black history, past and present. So here's how it works. We've got five rounds of questions about us, Black history, the entire diaspora, current events, you name it. And with each round, the questions get a little tougher and the guest has 10 seconds to answer. If they answer correctly, they'll receive one symbolic black fist and hear this. And if they get it wrong, they'll hear this. But we still love them anyway. And after the five trivia questions, there will be a black bonus round just for fun. And I like to call it Black Lightning. Our guest for this episode is TV and film actor and producer E. Roger Mitchell. He's acted in more than 100 projects, including The Hunger Games, The Walking Dead, The Oval, and you may have also seen him in Tyler Perry's Jazzman Blues, in a great film coming out called Insidious 5, and he is currently starring in the Netflix hit Outer Banks. If you haven't seen it, you must. Hello, E, and thank you so much for joining us here in The Blackest Questions. Good morning, good morning. Thank you for having me. <laughs> okay, are we ready to rock and roll? Yeah, uh, let's give okay. it a shot. <laughs> let's go. Let's jump right in. Question number one. This private university was the first historically Black college in the state of South Carolina and was founded by two missionaries following the Civil War. What is the name of this institution? I'm going to guess. Why not say Claflin University now, but I could be wrong. You are correct. It is <laughs> Claflin University. Claflin was created to establish a college for freed enslaved people and or formerly enslaved people. And just months after it opened, it merged with the Baker Bible Institute, which was a training school for black ministers. Claflin University prides itself on being one of the first colleges in the South to welcome students of all races and genders. And in 2020, the university received a $20 million donation from billionaire Mackenzie Scott, a philanthropist and former wife, you all may know, of Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos. So, E, I know that you graduated with a bachelor's degree in English and drama from Claflin. What do you tell someone who's trying to decide between saying HBCU, and as I call it, I went to HWCUs, historically white colleges and institutions oh, um, <laughs> up north. But what made Claflin so special for you when you attended? Um, ironically enough, what made it special for me, for me when I was attending uh, Claflin, it was Claflin College at that time, uh, okay. Dr. Professor. <laughs> and um, I didn't realize at the time coming out of high school and going into you know to college I knew I wanted to have a secondary education but I really did not have an idea what the HBCU experience was was supposed to be um and it just it was kind of like a like some some comfortable jeans you know that you've worn mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know and they just feel right you know what I'm saying so it wasn't even thinking about an HBCU I was just around my folks you know, mm-hmm. and then later on, it started to sink in. You were, I knew where I was, but as I continued, graduated and wow, look, the impact of, of uh, you know, the, the HBCU in general for the United States is just like, wow. Then now, as I'm older, so many, many moons later, it's so, so powerful and impactful. I, yeah. I, wish, I wish I had grasped it, grasped it earlier, but I knew it. 
But now, I guess because I'm older, it means so much more. I, I find myself saying this on a daily basis that youth is wasted on the young, right? If we only knew a half or a quarter of, of what we experienced. Now, you're on a hit show on Netflix, The Outer Banks, and you all are filming in South Carolina. What's it like being back in the state? Where, oh my you know, God. you had this formative, these formative years and, and such a great experience at Claflin. Oh my gosh, doctor. So thank you for asking that question. It's the first job, professional job I've ever had and still has ever happened for me in my career to this date is Outer Banks. The first time I've ever worked in the state of South Carolina as a professional actor. So to be able to go back to, and we shoot over outside of Charleston, Hilton Head, uh, Johns mm-hmm. Island, Kiowa Island, all, all the, you know, in, in Charleston, it's all become just a wonderful, wonderful foodie uh, location. It's become, I mean, it's amazing. And being there from college and finishing high school and going into college there, and then coming back now, obviously it's it's grown so much, but to be able to work almost, it's my second home. It, it's home because mm-hmm. my mom and dad, you know, it's, so to be able to work home is such a gratifying experience. It means it's almost it's almost surreal. It really mm-hmm. is. I'm thankful, so thankful to what I deal with. I line up with you know. Uh, we can call it what you want, but God is just so wonderful in how that 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 full circle happens. Um, it feels like a full circle moment. I can't even now, explain it. It's amazing. It really is. We'll circle back to South Carolina. You ready for question number two? You're one for one, E. Question number two. This man was America's first African-American billionaire and the first black man to be the majority owner of a professional sports team. He also founded BET. Who is he? Oh, uh, I can say the last name. Will that work? Okay, let's see. Is that Mr. Johnson, right? It is Mr. Robert Lewis Johnson. Mr. Johnson's from Mississippi and graduated from Princeton. In 1980, he took out a $15,000 loan to start Black Entertainment Television, the country's first cable network aimed for Black America. And when it first started, it only aired for two hours each Friday night. And by 1991, it was one of the biggest companies in America and was the first Black-controlled company to be traded on the New York Stock Exchange. And in 2001, Johnson sold BET to Viacom for $3 billion. So I know you've worked on several BET movies and TV shows. Is there a difference working for a production company run by and meant for Black people? I mean, you've shouted out Tyler Perry, and I know you've done great work in, uh, with him, uh, specifically, most recently, uh, his Jazzman Blues. Do you feel a difference when you're working for, say, a black control company or no? I mean, I think I think I'm going to liken it to, again, like, say, HBCU. OK, the atmosphere mm-hmm. experience kind of thing is just something that's innately. Uh, I wouldn't say more comfortable, but it's just in a it's kind of like a herd effect of sorts. It's just the difference is the fact that you it's you're just around your own. It's just. Mm-hmm. And there's, a, there's a there's a there is a uh an exhale that comes along with that you're like wow you know yeah well i mean i think it's so fascinating and interesting that both byron allen and tyler perry are you know working <laughs> to, those guys, to try I and, love and those guys oh, purchase bt and and you know keep this legacy going yes. tell us a little bit more though about working on 
the set of Jazzman's Blues. I mean, are you, do you have a music background at all? You know, I I just find that so many actors have so many other talents. You know, you're acting, but, you know, I find that people play instruments or they just have a real ear for music. Is that you or do you just enjoy it as, as, as just a hobby? At one point, I wanted to be a music engineer. And I wanted to come to Atlanta to go to the Art Institute of Atlanta to be a music engineer. I had my mom buy me this really expensive keyboard back in like 88. God bless your soul, mama. I still have it. Um, Cause I was, you know, I played the violin as a, as a, you know, as a, in grade school. Um, believe it or not, I've been doing plays since like the first or second grade. <laughs> so they've been hand in hand, but music was obviously the, the higher up. But then I really, really got bit again by the, I got really infected with the book, <laughs> but music, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm a percussionist. I marched in the band. I played snare drum, tenor, you know, drum section, uh, and violin. Um, um, I was just looking at some recording software just the other day. Well, my roommate and I, John Hubbard, I'm giving you a shout out, John. John House Hubbard, second generation Claflin grad. God bless Pops. You know, uh, we were talking about, he's my roommate from Claflin. He's my, one of my best friends. We talk all the time. Music. And so he's a musician also and an artist. So yes, jazz man, and I didn't get a chance to really play much in that, I tried to play the harmonica and the guitar at one time. You can tell Tyler, boy, when I first saw it on the page, um, side note, I saw this, This, this. he wrote this script, obviously, he's, uh, he spoke to the public about it. That's been since, uh, I think, 95, 96, or something like that, mm-hmm. 97. It's been 25 years easy. And when I first read it, I thought it was great. And I, you know, when he talked about doing it a couple of years ago, I said, like, you, you're going to do it? So he finally did it. Um, I didn't play the harmonic. I didn't play the guitar at the same time. I could have played something if it give me some time. It was it was fast. You know, we had to we had to get it done and um I'm just glad to be a part of that. So happy that he finally did it. Um uh, it means so, so much. And then I didn't expect to be a part of it. <laughs> right. And he called and things work out the way they do. Uh, I really did not. I was like, dude, just do it. I don't care. Just do it. Cause I I'm an actor. I understand. You can't be everywhere. And then right. kind of got <laughs> roped in. But the fact that it, that that it, that he did it. That's now, Sorry well, listen, that. we're going to take a quick commercial <laughs> break. I'm here with E. Roger Mitchell. You're listening to The Blackest Questions. The 80s gave us unforgettable songs from Bob Marley, De La Soul, and Public Enemy. I'm a black man, and I can never be a veteran. Being Black the 80s is a podcast docuseries hosted by me, Torre, looking at the most important issues of the 80s through the songs of the decade. A decade when crack kingpins controlled the streets but lost their humanity. You couldn't be like those soft, smiling, happy-go-lucky drug dealers. You had to suppress that. It was a time when disco was part of gay liberation. It provided the information to counter narratives that were given to gay people by the straight world. This is the funkiest history class you'll ever take. Join me, Torre, for Being Black the 80s on the Grio Black Podcast Network or wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, we're back. I'm here with E. Roger Mitchell, star of the Netflix hit show, the Outer Banks. We are playing the blackest questions. E, are you ready for question number three? I think so. That's that you got me on the other one. You got me all choked <laughs> up. 
Sorry. See, this is what we do in the Blackest Questions. Y'all because, you know, our listeners Ooh. love learning about Black history that's that they haven't been taught. And, you know, Black history is American history. And we should yeah. all know about Claflin. We should all, you know, have a better understanding of, of what South Carolina means to people or the brilliance of Robert Johnson and how he's yes. passed on that legacy to Byron Allen and Tyler Perry and how they continue yes. to give opportunities to African-Americans specifically, you know, in so Thank many God. different endeavors. I mean, it's just, it's great for us to also connect with, you know, actors like yourself who just, you show up in our homes consistently, you know, in all these different facets and we need to know a little bit more about you, right? There we are. Okay, question number three. Let's get cracking. Let's do it. This fraternity was the first Greek letter fraternity established for African-American men in the United States. It was founded at Cornell University in Ithaca, New York. What is the name of this fraternity? <laughs> you know, I'm a civilian. See? I'm a civilian. I'm alpha by Alpha. That is right. So the group started as a literary and social studies club in 1905, but quickly wow. evolved into a fraternity just a year later, right? Shout out to 1906. Its seven founding members are known as the Jewels, and several of them went on to make history in their careers. One was the first African-American engineer in the state of New York. Another was the first registered Black architect in New York. Some of its famous brothers include Martin Luther King Jr., Keenan Ivory Wayans, Donnie Hathaway, and Maryland's new governor, Wes Moore. Now listen, I'm going to tell you, E, I'm the daughter of an Omega. Everybody who listens to the podcast knows that I... Love Omega Sci Fi Fraternity Incorporated. I have all my Q uncles. I got my Q cousins. But let's shout out a Alpha Phi Alpha and tell us about your connection to the Alpha Brotherhood. Ironically enough, I never, I, I, obviously, I did not pledge. And, um, but I thought about it. I thought, what would I, what would I do, or what I actually, what I actually can do? <laughs> it will be Alpha. And I never really, you know, talked about it because my brothers, you know, like my buddy John, all of us, we, you know, we're a bunch of, you know, guys. We do what we do. None of us were Greek, but I, you know, it'd be like taboo to speak of Greek sort of. We were just really cool guys, you know what I'm saying? But it would be Alpha. And shout out to my brother, my brother Philando, and the wonderful, wonderful brothers and sisters who brought me down to to Carolina uh, back in February. A phenomenal time. That's my connect. I'm thinking about sending a text to my brother right now. See, well, and you know what? It's so funny you say that, E, because so many people who come on the podcast, there are certain questions, and I shout out to my brilliant producers who put the, these questions together. I'm serious. The whole, the whole point is that we also, we want to be connected, right? And so there's so many times that, you know, guests come on the show and then afterwards they're like, you know, you asked this question and it made me call so-and-so or it made me think about this person from my past, you know, because, and also people just want to learn more. So they, they want to call someone and, and follow up on a question um, that sort of triggered a memory. So I absolutely love that. You know, this idea of fraternity uh, and also sisterhood specifically is just so fascinating to me because going back to your, your, memories of South Carolina. Yes. It's the way that black people create community no matter where we go. Sometimes it's formal in the in the, you know, divine nine. And sometimes it's this informal space where we're just we're snapping peas together before we go out to the club. <laughs> <laughs> That's what my dad said. That was his that was his chore. Really? He had to oh snap peas before he had, before he was allowed out on a Friday night. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Indeed. So you know I, I just think that, you know, for actors who travel around, 
you know, you insert yourself in different communities on these different projects. I just think that your worldview of building community on sets and in neighborhoods where you, you actually film is just a, a, a fantastic way of thinking about Black identity. I like that very much, yes. And there's a lot of that happening when at you know, when we land, there's that community building happening. You know what I'm saying? It, it, I heard it, that very tale there was just, that was very profound. Very well, profound. you know, and shout out to another um, Blackest Questions guest. We had Chef Gennard uh, Wells on the show and he, he worked for Tyler Perry uh, when Tyler Perry came to town and he, he sort of put himself out there. But, you know, basically from the culinary side, he's essentially saying the same things that you're saying about building community. Okay, well... <laughs> We could talk all day about all these great Black people, but let's get up to question number four. You're doing well. This playwright created a 10-play series that explored the African-American experience throughout the 20th century. His body of work has been described as one of the finest literary achievements in contemporary drama. Who am I describing? And everything you said about August Wilson was right. That's right. August Wilson, who wrote the American Century Cycle, also known as the Pittsburgh Cycle, all but one of the 10 plays was set in the Hill District of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where August Wilson grew up. He dropped out of high school and educated himself at a nearby library, something that his mother never knew. His artistic life began with poetry, actually. And in the 1980s, August began writing his 10-play cycle that combined historical fact comedy, gritty realism, and spiritual and supernatural elements. And I am a huge August Wilson fan, and I know that you've actually acted in one of his plays, the ninth play of the cycle, King Hedley II. Tell us a little bit more about that. And is that your favorite August Wilson play? Oh, wow. You know, ironically enough, King Hedley came like uh, like a meteor, (laughs) and Mm -hmm. that was number six of the ten. I've done six of them. So I've done six of the 10 plays. I've done a couple twice. I've done radio golf, whatever, twice. But King Henley, I did not see that coming. I, obviously, I love all of the literature. It's phenomenal. A, a, a dynamite piece of the role. I, I played the role of Elmore in that play. It was just a, as always, it's a tour de force. It's a marathon. It's a phenomenal experience, but it's, it, it's you know, it's exhausting. Uh, it is not my favorite, though. My favorite mm-hmm. always Wilson play is Jim of the Ocean. And Jim mm. of the Ocean is technically in the 10 plays. It is the first of the 10. It's one of, of you know, number one in the line. But it was written. I think he wrote Jim. I think that was probably the sixth, fifth or sixth play he actually wrote. But Jim is technically number one on the cycle. So it's the oldest of the plays, technically. So it's the beginning. For me, it's just a beautiful beautiful piece so get your hands on jimmy the ocean that's my favorite but august yeah i can't say enough they're shooting piano lesson right now in atlanta as a matter of fact in case you didn't know oh are they you uh, know did were you able to catch piano lesson on broadway when sure uh which is here i sure did i snuck in there oh my god they did the thing i had to go see it i had to for several reasons yeah. i knew people mm-hmm. on the stage but i had to go and i'm glad i didn't miss it um and they're filming it right now and uh i hear it's uh it's going to be phenomenal so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I was able to catch it and it was it was truly yeah. a blessing to see it on stage. And, and many, many years ago when I was a broke graduate student, um, there was a smaller theater that put on all of the August Wilson plays and I was able really? to catch some of them then. And that was, you know, just kind of an off 
Broadway. Maybe it's technically off off, but uh hey. what if, I mean, I just I I think that he might be one of my all time favorite playwrights. To be quite I mean, honest, it, it's it's yeah, August is uh, he's a gem. How about that? That's right. He's and there's something gem. about Pittsburgh. You know, I I teach urban politics, and so the fact that Pittsburgh is is another character in all these plays is, is just phenomenal. You understand? Yes, it's your location. <laughs> It's a character. Listen, hey, e, I was a little thespian for a second in college. I, I dabbled. I'm like, talking about location being character. I was like, okay, Doctor Professor, Professor Doctor, which I haven't gone. I dabbled just a touch in the theater, <laughs> but I, I do go. I go to the theater about twice a week because for it. me, it. it makes me feel alive, and I think That's that was you. You know, one of the Thank biggest. Thank you for supporting things. the theater. I yes, indeed. Where did I belong to graduate? several theaters. Where did you go to graduate school by chance? So Where? I went to Tufts undergrad. I went to an HWCU okay. in Medford, Massachusetts. And then I got my PhD in political. And I was a politics and uh, classics. Okay. Uh, those are my two majors. And then uh, I went to graduate school at Columbia University for my PhD. But I really, you know, when I was in college, I really wanted to explore theater but at the time, and I'll just be really honest with you, the head of the theater program pretty much made it clear that he didn't believe in colorblind casting. Oh my and goodness. so I was going to play a maid or a prostitute for 40 you know years. I, and so I pivoted. Didn't even go there, but I get it. And times and the times. Wow. Yeah. Uh-huh. I could so, and it all works out. You know, teaching is theater. You got your script, different energy, you know. Yes. Different you cast know? every semester. Well, you know what? So. You, you, I'm easy to find. You never know. You obviously you're pretty established. We can figure something out. We'll figure something. Look at me dabbling. You already <laughs> got it. You already got it. Come on now. Hey. All right, then let's get to question number five. You're on a roll. I don't want to. I don't want to cool you down. It's like at the casino. We're hot. <laughs> let's do, let's do it. Okay. Question number five. At the turn of the 20th century. This northwest section of Miami was a refuge for black residents and was known as the Black Wall Street and Harlem of the South. Its original name was Colored Town. What is the area now called? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Now that has to be Overtown. You are correct. The Overtown neighborhood. Overtown was the epicenter of black wealth in Miami and was home to all kinds of Black-owned businesses, including hotels, doctors, and arts and cultural venues. Legends like Billie Holiday and Ella Fitzgerald often stayed in Overtown when they performed in South Florida. In the 1960s, two major highways were built, splitting Overtown in half and displacing more than 40,000 people, my great-grandmother included. The highway had no exits to Overtown and instead passed right over it, hence why it's now known as Overtown. So I know you grew up in Miami, and I know you're familiar with Overtown, um, my great grandmother came from the Bahamas and had a garden, a secret garden, because you know, all she didn't want to <laughs> sort of, you know, back then having a garden meant you know you were sort of a peasant type person, right. and she was she wasn't, but she liked all of her fresh, fresh vegetables. But my uncle said that basically when eminent domain came and they cut through her community and destroyed all the houses and all the black people had to disperse, mm -hmm. he said she essentially died of a broken heart. So you know, wow. when you go back to Miami. What's what? What are your feelings when you go back? We've talked about South Carolina, um, but Miami's a very different place from, say, the 1960s to today. Oh so, what do you think when you go back to Miami? What are some of your good memories, old and new? I mean, Miami. I was just talking about just yesterday. Uh, talking to a gentleman, a 
friend of mine about growing up in Miami and how obviously, you know, you were growing up in an orchard. I had uh, two mango trees, two coconut mm-hmm. trees, grapefruit tree, uh, banana tree. We didn't eat those though we had. <laughs> That's in my yard, okay? Yes, yeah. yes. So you count each yard by Lemons yard. and limes and mangoes, oh yes. Oh my God, tamarinds. I mean, you got Spanish limes, you got guava. Oh, next door was the, avo- the, the biggest avocado. I hated avocados as a kid. Mommy said, go, go, go. Go next door and give me some avocados because the Colbrooks, they didn't care. The tree was, it was an oak tree. It was huge. That's but right. my point being said, you could, you could leave the house and hang out and play and, and eat. All and, day and, and just eat day, from the land. You know, catch a, catch a water hole somewhere, get some water, keep it moving. You know what I'm saying? My father integrated Miami Central High School in 1960. What? Well, he sure did. okay. All of my family, if I if I finished high school in, in Miami, it would have been Northwestern. Everybody went to Northwestern. Uh-huh. Central was straight up 17. I know I know it's Central. Edison, Jackson, you know, Northwestern. That's right. So Central, we still have a faction of the Miami Greers that are there. Uh we we would have been the West. Everybody, because I'm off of uh, well, I ain't gonna tell you. Liberty City, you know, Liberty Central's in Liberty oh, City. Yeah. All Liberty City. So uh, you know, we went to the West. So Central, we get we got respect, you know. We respect it. <laughs> now, I will say this, City, I love any any football out of Liberty City. I don't care. I love. Oh yes, my Maybe dad is County, he's still you know watches yeah. high school and college football. But don't I will matter. say this: I read Luther Campbell's memoir. Wow! And I think it's one of the greatest memoirs ever. And as someone from Miami, if yes. you haven't read it yet, I got to get it. Beautiful because he talks so much not just about the rap game and Supreme yes. Court cases and free speech, but Miami is in his marrow, as you would say. Right. And so much of who he is right. is because of the city of Miami and Overtown and Liberty City yes. and yes. you know, just so many different communities. And he talks I wrote a book called Black Ethnics. He talks about the Caribbean and Black American influences and in neighborhoods. Yes. It is positively brilliant and i know that you know when you when you got a little downtime on set because you're a hardest you're a hard-working man in hollywood i tell you that but we have a little downtime uh check that out you know what i gotta say every year i when i teach urban politics i always vacillate but i really i'm gonna put it on the syllabus one year it's just that good because so much of you know the Supreme Court cases or the the, lo- the lower court cases that make their way to the Supreme Court, um, the the First Amendment rights that we enjoy today are largely because of the fights that he went through to to put the music out there. Um, but the way he talks about Miami, especially the Miami that you and I know, a lot of you know a lot of folks go to Miami and South Beach and. Yes, yeah, very twenty first century. They don't. They don't know that other Miami. <laughs> I want to go get some cum salad. I want to give me some cum salad, okay? And that's all I want. <laughs> the second my father touches down, it is cum salad time. I okay, got to go get so, the cum salad. That's that. Now we need to invite some of the chefs. I've had quite a few chefs on the show. Uh, now we need to just bring them back so we can have you know I, cooking with E I in various yes, uh, locales. Hey, okay. I'm with you on that. I'm with you. <laughs> Listen, I, Byron Allen's going to make Chrissy, you've got more offshoots to this podcast. What is going on? Let's so listen, we're going to take, take a quick commercial break. I'm here having a fantastic time <laughs> with E. Roger Mitchell. You're listening to The Blackest Questions. We'll be right back. 
Okay, we are back. You're listening to The Blackest Questions. I'm here with E. Roger Mitchell. E, are you ready for Black Lightning Round? I'm ready. I'm ready. I mean, listen, you've done a fantastic job. Now, here's how this goes. There are no right or wrong answers. I just need you to give me the first thing that comes to your head, and we'll go from there. How about that? First thing comes to my head. All right. That's right. Okay. First question. Spades or dominoes? Dominoes. Checkers or chess? Chess. If you had to pick, would you rather act in a movie or a TV show? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Doc! Court's out of contract laid out. I'll take a great network television show right now. Okay. Four <laughs> seasons. Keep it 100. Five seasons. Okay. Five seasons and some syndication. Yes. Who is yes. a black actor you'd like to work with? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. A black actor. I'm going to go with my guys. I really want to work with Don Cheadle. Oh, oh my gosh. Listen, I've liked Don Cheadle since the Golden Palace, which is a spinoff of Golden Girls. So that's how far back I've had love and respect for Don Cheadle. Okay. You've already alluded to this, but do you have any hidden talents? (laughs) Nothing else. You keep it PG for the podcast. Okay. Now, now here's one. Are you sending a text message or picking up the phone to call someone? Oh wow! You know, I pick up the phone. Come on, okay. let me talk to you. Someone recently asked me this, and I was like, I write a long letter. I'm one of those people keeping the U.S. I, Postal Service in business. I love it. God bless you. God bless you. Okay, and the last one: mm-hmm. best body of water to deep sea fish. Oh my gosh! As if I would know. Uh, but I definitely would love to if I were to go deep sea fishing. I like I, I go fishing off from out in Freeport. We go, you know, my, we go every year. But I've been in a couple of years on this year long. Really. I would love to dive. Now nah, I'll take it to the Pacific, like the uh, the Pacific, uh, like out in Hawaii, like like that, mm. like the South Pacific. I love to see what that's like, or even even what? or even near the the uh, Galap- Galapagos, Galapagos. Oh, the Galapagos Islands. I like to maybe dive well, out there and see what that looked like out there if I were to die. I bet that would be amazing. Well, yeah. might I recommend Belize? Ooh. Ah, okay. That water is, it's its basically where they film the Corona commercials. I was wondering. That water is amazing. Is it really? I didn't even believe. It is crystal blue. And I went deep sea fishing. Really? And first of all, I caught a barracuda and a tuna. <laughs> I love it. You know why? My grandfather, my maternal grandfather, fished—not deep sea fishing, but you know, he was—he was from Yulee, Florida, northern Florida, right out for, outside of Jacksonville. Wow! I have his fishing blood in me. Every time I go fishing, I catch something, no matter what. I went fishing in Tanzania. I caught some catfish. Like it doesn't matter. You put me in a pond, a river, a lake, an ocean, a stream, or the sea. I am catching something. We are going to eat. If you you're with Chrissy Greer, we're eating. I love you. I love you. It's like, oh, yes. We're going fishing next month. Gone fishing. We'll put yes. our little Louis Armstrong and Bing Crosby. Play a little gone fishing. And then. <laughs> you rock, Dr. Professor. Oh, well, listen. E, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on The Blackest Questions. You have, you've gotten all five questions correct. And I need to talk to my producers because I don't think that's ever happened before. And before we go, tell us again where people can find some of your current projects and what you've got going on in the works. Um, as I've said, as we said at the top, um, right now, Outer Banks, we 
We're on Netflix now, which has been great. We're supposed to do a season four. We'll see how things go with the business. Okay. Um, Insidious Five. That's a summer film. It just popped up out of nowhere, uh, like this month. Did a nice little, you know, pop in and pop out. Patrick Wilson, Lee Wan, those guys. That whole Conjuring Blumhouse meatball mm-hmm. was just phenomenal, phenomenal, folks. So that's going to be a summer movie, which would be great. Um, and then let's see what else is happening. I'm working on uh, what is it, Urban Movie Channel right now. We're doing a season three of Terra Lake Drive. It's our independent series. It's pretty wild, and it's an anthology in, in essence, but I keep coming back. At least I came back. So so I'm in season three. It's very interesting. Uh, it's a great little piece. So I'm having fun with Jerry Lamont and all those wonderful folks over at UMC with that. So that's UMC. That's the summer movie and Netflix. And then uh, you can just kind of maybe just take a look around. I'll pop up somewhere. I'll pop up. That's fantastic. Well, as up. my grandfather would say, you know, listen, we're among the living and the working. We ain't got no complaints. No complaints. <laughs> Well, I want to thank E. Roger Mitchell for joining us today. Thank we you. have had a blast. Thank Please you. promise us you'll come back and join us again on The Blackest Questions. I would love to come back. Anytime. Oh, fantastic. It was a and thank salad. you, listener. Kung salad. Yes, Uvo have Kung salad. Now, listen, we'll get into my allergies later. Yeah. But maybe, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll, I'll catch the fish and then we'll, yeah. make, we'll make Ew. some Kung salad. And Ew. some ceviche, too. But I want to thank everyone for listening to The Blackest Questions and having a blast with us and E. Roger Mitchell this week. This show is produced by Sasha Armstrong and Jeffrey Trudeau, and Regina Griffin is our director of podcasts. If you like what you heard, subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode, and you can find more on the Griot Black Podcast Network on the Griot app, the website, or YouTube.